Today on CityCast Boise, happy Friday! It's been a gorgeous week, and I've got lead producer Frankie Barnhill and contributor George Prentice with me to break down the stories behind the headlines. We're digging into the zoning code rewrite, where the city's at with its lofty carbon neutral goals, and is parking at the root of all our problems? It's Friday, June 16th. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise's talking about. Hi, George. Hi, Frankie. Thanks for being here. Hi. Good morning. So, George, let's start with you. You just talked to Steve Burgos, the director of public works, about how the city of Boise is doing in regards to their, you know, pretty ambitious carbon neutral goals. How are we doing? Well, according to him, we're doing fairly well. I think he uh, couches most of his answers when I ask that question. I'm obsessed with these goals. I think these these goals are fascinating. So just to remind folks, we're talking about the city, which is to say, let's say government, to be carbon neutral by 2035. And then for the city, which is to say all of us, uh, to be carbon neutral by 2050. And every time, every time I see the mayor, I ask her, how are we doing with those goals? Because the days are ticking by. I think they're extremely ambitious. And the skeptic in me is thinking, we may come close, but really? Are, are we really doing that well? Well, Steve Burgos uh, does a lot of heavy lifting. Um, as director of public works for the city of Boise, it's his job to look at the city's climate action plan every waking moment that he's at uh, at work um, and to make that happen. So we're talking about electrifications of buildings and the fleet, et cetera. And uh, he says we're doing okay. Uh, so I asked the same question you just asked. All I can do is ask, and but I think we have to keep asking. Yeah, totally. And I want to I want to throw this in here just because it was a really interesting conversation. But you know, you're seeing a lot of like a lot of companies and and uh, entities do this sort of like I don't know carbon neutral busy work. Uh, sort of, and I wondered, do you get a sense like are these real changes, or is this some of this kind of shuffling around that we see companies are doing? I think, as far as companies, I think quite frankly, the answer is it depends. It depends on what the company's motivation is. If they're answering to shareholders, it's probably real. If they're painting some PR picture or putting together a thirty-second ad, I'd be skeptical of it. And uh, you know, of course, it it dovetails right into the conversation of of uh, of carbon neutral credits, right? And and offsets. Yes, all of our CEOs are taking jet planes, but we're buying these credits to to offset that. And that's where I think I think skepticism is uh, is warranted. But in the case of the city, though, right, George, I mean, they have to answer to voters. It's not it's not shareholders, it's voters. And this has been a big uh, initiative, certainly for McLean and for other city council members, too. It is. And I think it's up to us to uh, keep uh, hold their feet to the fire, if you will, and to keep asking those questions. Um, but, yeah, it has to be transparent. We can't just 
ask uh, Steve Burgos, how are we doing? And he says, well, we're doing fine. Well, you know, we, we spent the better part of 15 minutes talking about, well, what does that mean? And what did you do last year? And what are you doing this year? What will you do next year? And he mapped that out, actually, of which buildings are being electrified, how many of the vehicles are being electrified, et cetera. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it's good news if indeed you uh, advocate for a climate action plan. I think we also have to recognize that there are some people in this city, especially in an election year, who's, who think that uh, this is uh, not where we should put our energy or resources, pardon the pun. Uh, but Lauren McLean's all in on this, and I think that's going to be very much a part of her campaign. And the people who support her, I think, I think this is pretty high at the top of the list of uh, the reasons why they support Lauren McLean. That climate action plan has her fingerprints all over it. What did Steve have to say about uh, water? I know the city is really committed to keeping our water supply local, but is that happening? It is. And I'm fascinated by water recycling. So the city had planned on a what? So what is water recycling, right? Um, what we're talking about is, and I'm going to make this as simple as possible, but we're gonna, we're, what we're talking about is drought-free supply, right, of recycling not all water, not all water that goes in the sewer, but a select amount of water, especially water that can and should be recycled chemically and through treatment, etc. And it is a science. It's a real science. This, so the city was always going to do this, but then Micron announced their huge expansion, which, and if most people don't know, Micron requires an extraordinary amount of water in their production cycle. So they require a water recycling plant. So they have to build one. Steve Burgos and Lauren McLean wave their hands and say, hi, we can, we'd love to work with you on this expansion. And as a matter of fact, we'd love to partner with you on this water recycling. So on Micron's dime, the city is partnering with Micron to build technically Boise's first massive water recycling facility in the next, let's say, seven or eight years. The city uses that experience, especially when it comes to the cost and, and process, et cetera, to then duplicate that so that it is the city's, you know, the public's water recycling plant. But imagine recycling water, a resource that is so endangered, that is so threatened. I, it, it's it's rather exciting when you think about it. Yeah, and it's very forward thinking. I loved your question, by the way, about the Boise River and what the city is doing to protect it. I thought that was a really important piece of this water recycling thing, too. He mentioned that, and I think it was a year ago, that they discovered freshwater mussels in a, uh, a part of the Boise River, um, a species which had they had not discovered well, certainly in anyone's memory, and that is a sign of a healthy river. And that's not to say that it's hard work and they've got to work on this every day as far as especially the temperature of the river, right? Especially when we think about it this time of year. But I always come back to that question. I'm sure you do, Emma. I'm sure you do, Frankie. What are we doing to give the Boise River the respect it deserves. Yeah. 
When it comes to recycling, though, I just curious you two. Uh, I think I know the answer because I know you two pretty well. But is there an ick factor here at all for either of you? The idea of recycling water and potentially, I mean, I know we're way away from this. And first off, it's used for yeah things like cooling down machinery at Micron and like not people actually turning on their tap and filling up a glass of recycled water and then drinking it. Does that, is it freaking out at all to think about that potentially being a future? Not at all. But I bet a lot of people would probably say yes. But, you know, if we're talking about commercial use, especially production, microchip production, et cetera. Right. Yeah, I'm all in. Yeah, it doesn't no ick factor for me. I mean, maybe that's because I've been to every field trip that my kids have ever gone to at the Boise watershed. So I know how much of our water is being recycled. <laughs> you love the watershed, Emma. Yeah. We know. We know. Yes. Yes. It's my favorite field trip. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it doesn't no ick factor for me. In fact, I'm super like George, really excited about it. I think it's great news. And I'm I'm happy to see that the city is being so forward thinking in this instead of you know, letting growth overwhelm us and watching Lucky Peak go, you know, lower and lower and lower and like Lake Mead, you know, and doing the Vegas thing of being like, crap, you know. So, yeah, I think it's really exciting, actually. And I love what Steve Burgo said. He said, we are asked all the time, why are we doing this? We're not in a crisis. And the answer to that is, to your point, Emma, well, yeah, but just look around, right? Um, And who's to say that our number isn't up next, where we are in a crisis. Um, I love the fact that I don't know enough about water recycling. I just want to know more. And so the education piece, I think, is exciting. I want to learn more how much of this could be consumed. Could we use some of this in washing, commercial washing, personal washing, et cetera? And in what kind of production? I just want to know more. I want to move on because, Frankie, you we have been talking about this so much this morning. This week has been huge for the zoning code rewrite, which ties into all this, right? The water, the carbon neutrality. But what is going on right now with the zoning code rewrite? Yeah. Talking about the future of resources. We're talking about the future of what Boise will look like and who Boise will be livable for is another part of that same question. Um, Yeah. So the zoning code rewrite, we've had public meetings all week. Uh, Just to be fully transparent to listeners, we're recording this on Thursday morning. And actually, the city council is supposed to vote Thursday night on whether or not they're going to endorse the plan that has been, uh, you know, uh, move to this part, like we're at the finish line almost, um, or if they want any changes made. So we'll have follow up on on what ends up happening. But yeah, this is a once in a generation thing that, you know, our current zoning code is from the 60s, which is just insane to think about how long we've been living with the same zoning code. So everything from affordable housing to like where we can have local businesses. Like if you like, you know, a Roosevelt market, could you maybe see one in your neighborhood in the future? Um, Whether or not you have to drive everywhere. Can you walk places? Uh, Whether or not there are drive-throughs all over your neighborhood or uh, along corridors. Those are all like questions that are built into this question of what should our zoning code look like for the future? 
and it's getting pretty heated. Uh, surprisingly, I think it's funny because it on the surface seems like this very boring topic, but then sure. like people are really taking sides. Yeah. If you dig into this and of course, I mean, politics are coming into it. We've uh, already mentioned the election. We've got the mayoral election and city council elections coming up. And so it's kind of all happening at this swirl in the same time where people are starting to like take sides about this and kind of, you know, some like some Democrats, for example, that are on opposite sides of something. It's not necessarily just a uh, a red and a blue issue or a Democrat versus Republican issue on this, um, though there are some lines you can probably you can probably connect a few groups. So there's one group called Reject Boise Upzone, and that's pretty clear what their view is. They do not like the, the zoning code rewrite as is. And they actually had a protest at uh, City Hall last week. Uh, it, was, it was OK attendance for that. Um, and, you know, their their basic concern when it comes to the question of how do we get more housing that is affordable, not necessarily affordable housing, because that's a different category technically, but housing that an average Boisean can like at least rent, if not buy someday. Right. Um, that question's huge. And they're concerned that the zoning code as it's rewritten will take away some kind of like pre already existing housing that's currently affordable. So that's one of their gripes. Um, they have other concerns as well. And then the other side is this group called Neighbors for Boise that's in favor of the zoning code rewrite um, and that they're saying that really, you know, seeing like fourplexes, multiplexes and other things that are currently not legal in a lot of places in the city seeing those changes um, come in could really help with affordability because part of the issue is inventory, a lack of houses to buy or rent in general, which drives up demand. So their feeling is that the changes to density in particular are a good thing and they want to see it happen. I will say too, I don't know if you guys, did you note the Idaho Capital Sun noted the census data from 2021 to 2022 that Boise actually had a slight decline in population, very minor, like 0.6% or something. But the census folks to the Cap Sun said, um, yeah, we think this is a, a housing affordability issue, that people were moving out of Boise proper and, you know, moving into other parts of the Treasure Valley or moving out of state potentially. But, you know, this housing affordability piece is just we can't escape it. And it is so key to the zoning code stuff. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned other cities. I mean, this the zoning code rewrite is only going to affect Boise. But uh, are other cities in the region going to go through the same thing? Are they going to need to rewrite code? I think of the uh, the episode we did recently on STAR and the exponential growth. And that census data showed uh, huge growth in STAR, which is such a small community. So totally. do you think other cities will follow suit in this? Uh, it'll be interesting to see if other cities in Idaho decide or like Meridian, if they're going to update their code, right? That could be interesting. I'm not actually sure how long the Meridian code has been around, but um, we have seen uh, a northern neighbor, Spokane, Washington. Um, they're updating their zoning code. Boise Dev did a great article where they kind of dug into like these other cities that are similar sized and there's and are also seeing population increases and affordability issues being major all of a sudden. And Spokane's taking a similar general approach of density um, and increasing. So we're not like out of step with other cities that are similar sized, similar situations and problems. Um, I don't know, George, are you thinking about like how I mean, I'm always interested in how other other cities are doing and what we're and how we're thinking about it as as Boise, like just goes through so many changes. I think when you 
revisit a zoning code. It is a city planner's dream and a city planner's nightmare. Um, it's a heavy lift. And so I think it will, quite frankly, depend on how good the city planners are in those communities. It's a really, really hard thing to do because you are bound to uh, anger a good sector of the population. What mm. I'm fascinated this week is by the messiness and the wonderful part of how messy this is. This is truly democracy. You've got people who are pushing out absolute falsehoods. You've got people who are pushing out amazing, really good, rich ideas. And if you take a look at the city council members, you can see more than a few of them taking notes like crazy. Diligent notes. And they, like they'll yeah. interrupt yeah. someone's testimony and, and look over at staff saying, are you writing this down? Are you writing this down? Um, which... I think means that as written, it's probably not going to pass as written. Um, it has to be tweaked if you want to make it better. Uh, and then, of course, there's always the chance of it being rejected. But I think it's uh, there's a really good chance of it being tweaked. I love just the, the wide variety of opinions. And on Wednesday night, some opinions boiled over a little bit. Uh, one woman called for the mayor to instantly resign. Um, and of course, we've heard a number of people argue, well, we shouldn't even consider this until after the November election. Right. Uh, to which a number <laughs> yeah. of council members say, well, I've actually been working on this for the last three yeah. years, but yet you want someone to come in here and just vote on that's this? That's part of the reason why I was elected. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and by the way, that's not to say that all of these arguments aren't valid. Sure. But- we're also in the process of crafting a new budget for the city. And you can only imagine how big the budget is. You will be able to count on your fingers and toes the amount of people who testify in the in the budget hearings. People just don't show up for things like this. So I love the fact that people are engaged. Yes, a number of people are going to get ticked off, and it is an election year, but this is wonderfully messy. And I think some good stuff is going to come out of this. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's interesting, this conversation we're having today, a lot of times when we do the weekly news roundup, we talk about three very separate issues that don't really have a lot of tie in. But um, everything in this conversation, it's all connected. And like George, the next thing we were going to talk about was this really interesting interview you did on parking, which on the surface, again, seems kind of like a boring topic. But like it was a fascinating interview, but also like really ties into this larger debate we're hearing around the zoning code. Parking is right in that sweet spot, right? So I saw a review in the New York Times Sunday Book Review a couple of weeks ago of a new book called Paved Paradise. Henry Graber, who writes for Slate, he covers transportation and housing for Slate. He's the author. I instantly reached out to Penguin uh, Books and said, can I talk to him? And he reached out and said, oh, I, I, I've written a number of stories about Boise. I'd love to talk to you. So I was all in on this. And I mean, just some of the highlights there is more housing for each car in the United States than there is housing for each person. Wow. I Crazy. mean, right? That, that's <laughs> yeah. a jaw dropper there. In his research, when he, when he talked to uh, people about letting new neighbors into their neighborhood, um, when people talked about the city changing and growing, the thing they feared most 
wasn't crowded classrooms. It wasn't neighbors who spoke a different language at home. It was losing their parking space. And then, how about this? Most American cities make more money from illegal parking fines than they do from the meters or the garage taxes combined. Wow. I mean, just just drop the mic on any one of those. <laughs> but at the heart of this is this very personal entitlement and, and uh, I think it's fair to say obsession that we have with parking in our culture. And so part of the zoning code is how many parking spaces? And uh, especially, you know, for for a business uh, are appropriate. And if you don't have a robust public transportation system, people are going to say, yeah, but I need a parking space because we don't have a robust public transportation system. And then there's that chicken and egg conversation we always have about transportation. So, but parking is so personal, right? I mean, how many of us have been in a blizzard, right? Where we dig out our space in front of our house, or maybe there's a street concert or, 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 or uh, an event at the park and you put chairs out in the street to make sure that your space is there, right? I mean, it's, it, it's crazy in spite of the fact that that's public space. Yeah, that was something from the interview that really like it's like something, you know, but then when you hear it, you like finally go like, oh, my gosh, you're right. Like I've done that. Yeah. And and <laughs> you t he talked about how people get attached to like the curb outside their house as their parking, their property, even though it's a public space, like you said. But that somehow extends to the neighborhood around them. And as your guest said, it becomes like this reason to oppose change of any kind. And I just thought that was so interesting like that, that, that this it's kind of starts with this little spot in front of your house that you defend, you know, like you've seen videos of people coming out and screaming at someone for parking in front of their house. And it's like, this is all public property. These streets, we all own them. So and then in a downtown core, you have all of this, you know, these these parking ramps that empty out at 6 p.m. Right. Mm -hmm. All of this valuable space. And what do we do about that? I mean, these are really good conversations. And, you know, very quickly, it's a conversation about housing or the lack thereof and how much space and how much money we spend on parking. Yeah. And I think, oh, gosh, that ties in so well. OK, so personal anecdote is that I used to live recently lived in one of those new downtown apartments. Um, I lived in the Lucy and the Lucy didn't have parking that came with it like the building didn't come with it. But what they did was they worked with the hotel like a block away so that you could get a parking permit there. Really, you could get a parking permit on your own. You didn't they you know, whatever you could have bought it on your own, which is I think one of your your guests was talking about that, like when uh, people who live in a place that doesn't have parking that's offered to them, they go and find it somewhere, which is what we did. So uh, but it meant that it per personally for us, my husband and I, it meant that when we decided to move into this downtown apartment, we downsized to one car because on top of the fact that we were living in downtown so we could walk everywhere, um, we were, you know, lucky enough to be able to work from home for the most part. And if we needed to get in the car, we could like figure it out um, between the two of us and we're able-bodied or we could hop on the bike, right? Or whatever, or get on the bus if we can make it work for our schedules. And that to me was like the perfect encapsulation of what 
this is all about and like the zoning code maybe bringing down the number of parking spaces because that's one of the things they're looking to do in the current rewrite um but what it did for us is it did it did exactly that it forced us to get rid of a car that we probably didn't really need um and you know we we paid for one parking space instead of two and look at how many parking spaces are being built over in downtown boise currently all of those lots yeah that are being replaced it's changing it's changing right now yeah, it made me think of the quote from your guest, um, which has been bouncing around in my head ever since I listened to the interview about saying, like, you can't create conditions under which mass transit will succeed unless you are first willing to take parking down a peg in your hierarchy of needs. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's so, so good. good and so true. <laughs> so fascinating. And when I think of all the parking, like you think of all that space downtown that's being taken by parking and like the people that could house the restaurants that could be there. Um, and and Frankie, you know, you're, you're telling this anecdote, but I know you had voiced to me how frustrating that was having to park there, not having a, a spot that was always there for you. You know, if the hotel is busy, you're fighting for parking. Yeah. And it's a that takes up a, a part of your brain, of your space. You know, I have friends that live in uh, live in the North End who are constantly trying to find parking in front of their house, you know, and uh, if, if you've ever lived in an apartment, you get one spot. And if anybody comes to visit you, there's three free spots in the entire parking lot of the apartment that everybody fights over. So can I ask a question? Have either of you ever lived for an extended period of time without a car? I have. Yeah. Uh, several times. Yeah. yeah. With kids, which is a yeah. real pain in the butt. But yeah, couldn't imagine that. Yeah. And I did that for a couple of years when I lived in Manhattan. And I, I think, how did I do that? It's like, gosh, I did just fine. Yeah. Right. I did just fine. But you had public transit that was available to you yes, that I made did. it really simple. Yeah, I I did in college, uh, which, you know, like on a college campus, I remember always bumming rides with friends who had a car or just figuring it out. Like, OK, get on the bus to go down to downtown Minneapolis and go to the museum because I don't have a car, but I want to go check out that cool art exhibit. Like you just figure it out if you're able bodied and if all of those things. So that's that's part of it, too, is like, how do we balance all of these different needs and take the community as a whole. But the, the 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 staggering number that you said about how many parking spaces versus uh, how much space there is for humans to live and put their head at night <laughs> and lay down is is pretty crazy. And a lot of that, a lot of that is, uh, quite frankly, taxpayer funded money. Uh, we're in other words, we're spending more more public money on housing cars than we are people. Let's just pause yeah. for a moment right there. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, your guest talked about not building and, you know, the strip mall uh, right. sprawl, you know, way of doing things anymore. And, you know, that's what this zoning code rewrite is a big piece of is creating these neighborhood areas where people don't have to travel outside. They have a grocery store. They have restaurants. You you could live without a car, which, you know, as living in West Boise is a dream like it's Im impossible you know like i i would love i would love to have a little neighborhood cafe uh over here but uh yeah we'll see so interesting we'll be obviously keeping an eye on that i'm very interested to see what happens tonight um with with the zoning code vote but we will keep an eye on that i think it's uh, goodness knows i don't think it's going to end this week this conversation and for all the right reasons well, um, let's end on a fun thing. I know Frankie has one. I hope you have one too, George. What are you excited about for Boise this week? Frankie, let's start with you. Yeah, I'm excited and just um, really, you know, get some hometown pride for um, 
Heaven is a Junkyard is the new album by Youth Lagoon, a.k.a. Trevor Powers, who is a longtime Boise musician, and it's his latest album, and it just received Best New Music from Pitchfork. And (laughs) if you're not a Pitchfork follower, if you're not super nerdy into like indie music stuff, that might not mean much, but it means a lot uh, for anyone who cares about like seeing an artist perform in a city that you normally wouldn't. Um, Because what this will probably mean is that well, A, it's just awesome. Congrats to Youth Lagoon and Trevor Powers for getting that. And it's good. It's a good thing for Boise's music scene to continue to get that shine. Um, he also, his album has a lot of Idaho in it. Like Idaho Alien is one of the singles, is the name of one of the singles. It's great. Really beautiful, evocative um, songwriting in this album. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that and the fact that uh, we got a little bit of extra shine in our arts and culture uh, scene and a little recognition from a, a very well-known and very well-respected uh, national uh, music publication. Yeah. Well, hooray, Trevor, and good job. And that's very exciting. Uh, George, what about you? Do you have one? I do. Uh, I'm very excited, as I am each year, for World Refugee Day oh, yeah. uh, in Boise, which is Saturday. Um, I think this is the 4th of July, Christmas, and every ethnic holiday in uh, into one. It's Boise's best day. It is what I what I have loved over the years is it's on Saturday when the downtown market is happening. So a lot of people kind of stumble upon it because it's in it's near the same space. They just keep walking. They they think they're in the market and all of a sudden they're smelling like really good stuff yes. cooking and some interesting handbags, et cetera. Oh, well, this is interesting. All of a sudden you're in the middle of a refugee celebration. And so uh, I think it, uh, most of our listeners know that uh, Idaho and Boise in particular has resettled quite a few people of late, uh, a number of people from Ukraine and certainly from Democratic Republic of Congo. I had a chance to meet with a young woman this week uh, from the DRC who um, her world turned upside down in uh, uh Democratic Republic of Congo. She was separated from her parents. She thought her parents had died, and she and her sister uh, survived resettlement camps, uh, refugee camps, and finally came it came into Idaho and discovered that her parents were very much alive. They are all together wow. now. She has recently graduated with a degree in psychology. She's a new mom, and she's going to be one of the MCs at World Refugee Day in downtown Boise. And my heart skipped a beat. Uh, when I I just heard this woman's story. And I I love everything about World Refugee Day. And by the way, if you are struggling with what is an American, if you're looking for some kind of reference to what, you know, what is your citizenship, in the middle of World Refugee Day is a citizenship ceremony. And you will see people from dozens of countries pledge allegiance to their new home and they have passed a citizenship that most of us could never pass. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you're questioning all kind, you know, about the the world as it is and how difficult your lot in life is, World Refugee Day will fill your belly. Amazing music and performance. I I love everything about it and it's uh, it's this Saturday. Well, I will be at that. That sounds so fun and so beautiful. I think I've never or haven't been in a lot of years anyway. So uh, that sounds really, really fun. Yours are both so Boise-centric and perfect, and mine is completely self-absorbed, but uh, that's what I have I want to hear it. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Yours is, 
Um, Saturday, we are having a graduation party for my son, and it's a little delayed, but um, we weren't able to do it until this weekend, and I'm so excited for him. He is uh, headed to BSU next year. He's going to live in the dorms and do the whole, you know, college experience, and I think that that's so fun, and yeah, I'm just excited. Boise, I'm sending you a citizen. I made you a citizen, and he's out there. Uh, he's got his voter <laughs> registration card. He is ready to participate yes. <laughs> in democracy and all other kinds of things. So I don't know. Yeah, it's just this huge. I mean, this is my second kid to graduate high school and to go to BSU. And um, yeah, it just I'm so excited for this weekend to, and to celebrate him. We're having a big party and I'm just so excited for for him to he's you know, he's a, still a teenager. So he's like, are people going to give me money? And you're like, well, yeah, but that's kind of like, that's, <laughs> there's more to it than that. But yeah, I think it'll be really fun. And then Sunday is Father's Day, uh, which is hilarious because last weekend on Sunday, uh, my husband Alex thought it was Father's Day, thought we all forgot. Oh, no. Made us <laughs> breakfast, made pancakes and eggs and bacon for everybody. And finally, around like four or five, like happened to mention it. And I'm like, no, that's next weekend. And I just thought it was so funny that he completely thought we all completely forgot Father's Day. <laughs> didn't didn't fuss him, made us all breakfast, puttered around oh the mowed the lawn. So this Sunday where we have a bunch of stuff planned for him to make him feel special since he clearly <laughs> didn't expect anything. We were like, okay, we better. So we're doing board game Olympics. He's a big board game guy. So we're having a big board game party for him on Father's Day. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm excited. I'm excited oh for that. Oh, my gosh. Yay. Congrats. Congrats, Henry, right? Yeah, that's my Henry. Yep. Congrats, Henry. Product of Boise School District. So that's great. Product of the Boise School District. Yep. Um, can't, you know, went went through all the way. Just graduated from Capital. Love Capital. Great, great school. All the teachers and staff there are so amazing. So can we talk about him? <laughs> Can we talk about him just for a couple more seconds? So yeah, has sure. he thought about what he wants to do? What what, what does he want to study? Well, um, you know, he's undecided. My older kid, when he started BSU, he knew he wanted to be an engineer. He went immediately into the College of Engineering, found his people. He's got a whole Dungeons and Dra Dragons group now. Uh, <laughs> he really found his people so immediately. Oh, um, Henry is going to be playing rugby, I think. Uh, he, But he's not super sure what he wants to pursue. I actually think he might get into journalism. He has a very Ooh. deep sense of justice, and he's a very curious person. So I haven't been pushing one way or the other, but um, I have mentioned a couple times, like, well, you love to read, and, you know, you're... You're very nosy. Um, <laughs> Ask a lot of questions. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think uh, you don't fear authority in any way, which has been very difficult to parent you. But uh, so, yeah, I think he I don't know. It'll be so interesting to see. And I love he's going in just very blank slate. You know, he's he, we're, you know, looking at classes. He's taking just core stuff. He's going to be undeclared, not feeling a ton of pressure, you know, so. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see what he decides on. But he's a smart kid and he could literally probably do just about anything. So, yeah. So is he chilling this summer uh, in anticipation no. of that? <sighs> okay, I told him to chill. I told him, like, just take the summer off because he was going to get this job. And I was like, this is your last summer to be a kid. Just chill. Go camping. Like, just take it easy. He got a full-time construction job. Um, and he's also... Uh, doing rugby practice after work. So he works like 7 a.m. to 5 at this very grueling construction job. And then he goes to rugby practice right after that for like two and a half to hours. Um, wow. And I just he's like you, George. I don't know if he has a lot of chill in him. Um, he's, <laughs> he's a he's a fill 12 hours kind of boy. So, uh, yeah, I, I encouraged him to just hang out. But 
he he's busy. He's a busy man. He wants to make some money and and uh, do some traveling and stuff like that. So well, congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it feels pretty cool. You know, being a parent, it's you're just doing it forever. <laughs> and it just seems like there's no end in sight. And there's not actually he came over last night and made me clip his toenail. Uh, so like you never are really done. He had an ingrown <laughs> toenail. It's a mom thing, George. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> what a perfect way to end this podcast. Uh, <laughs> what? what? Yeah, it's mom shit. Okay, I of had that asked myself. Stuff, I was chilling. I was doing yoga. I ever and he, asked my yeah. mom. Yeah. I know. He came over and was like, I have an ingrown toenail. You have to get it. You're my mom. I was like, my mom's my mom's <laughs> never done this. This is a whole new age of parenting. Wow. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I coddled him, George. I coddled him. Cool. What are you going to do? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, Frankie, George, thank you so much, both of you, for being here. And uh, yeah, George, come back soon. We love having you on. Thanks. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, too. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Happy Father's Day and happy uh, Juneteenth to people, too. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. The show is produced by Frankie Barnhill, Eva Navitia, and me, Emma Arnold. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter, and our music is by Up Is The Down Is The. We're out Monday to mark Juneteenth, but we'll be back Tuesday with more stories from around the city. Bye. Thank you.